Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I'm passionate about making Christ and His church famous and about helping people develop an open-ended commitment to reading the entire Word of God, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. This is an ongoing rhythm, a spiritual discipline in my life. I do it together with women in my church. Bailey and I are doing this together right now. And so the purpose of this podcast is to feed into that, to help take topics from the Bible that are sometimes difficult to understand, make them clearer, make them more applicable to our lives so that we hunger for God's word. We know that there's wisdom for us in that. And this season, season three of the podcast, is a mini series on marriage. So we're getting very practical this season, but we're doing it in a book that's often neglected because it doesn't seem very practical. It seems very confusing. Sometimes it's the book Song of Solomon. We're walking straight through this. And I want to introduce you to someone I'm so happy to have on this podcast. She's a friend to me. She's a mentor to me, Allison Harris. If you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself, share some of what you do. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name's Allison Harris, and uh, I, too, am a pastor's wife. Been uh, We've been in ministry, doing ministry for 40 years. <sighs> that was a long time. And we're still around to talk about it, and we still like it, and it's awesome. And then my friend Tina uh, asked me to come and speak with her at a podcast on on any book of the Bible, and we pick Psalm and Solomon. That's what I get. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm special. So, but no, actually, this is kind of fun. Uh, this, these next couple chapters are going to get really interesting. Yes. It is getting saucy here. Yeah. <laughs> here so, we go. <laughs> I love that I get to be here with someone who I consider my mentor and also with someone who I've had the honor of mentoring, and that is my friend Bailey. So, Bailey, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Bailey Strawn, and I am a brand manager by day and a worship leader by night, and I serve on the incredible worship team here at Ecclesia Church. And Bailey is uniquely qualified to be on this episode <laughs> because you are getting married. Yes, next week. One week, One from, week today. from today. And so by the time this episode airs, you'll be an old married lady. I will be. You'll I will be, be into it. Yes. I'll be in my wifey era. <laughs> <laughs> so we're so excited for Bailey, and she's going to speak into this because we are jumping into the part of Song of Solomon that is the actual marriage and consummation. So if you don't mind, Allison, give us a quick recap of where we've been to bring us to this point. Okay, so Song of Solomon, which when you first read it, you're like going, are you serious? I have to say these words out loud. I actually have to read them. I have to put these words in my brain. Yeah, you do. Because you have to understand how God is so creative. He's fun. He made sex. I'm going to say it again. He made sex. It's a beautiful thing. And he, sit, he in the Song of Solomon, he talks about how this is. Song of Solomon is not meant to be theology. So don't get hung up on, on that. It's, it's poetry. And if you're not into poetry, I get it. I'm not much into it either. But you learn to understand and appreciate uh, what they're trying to say in this book. So session one we talked about was dating and how the attraction and the first time you meet and the airs that you put on and the flirting that you do and, and 
and it happens on both sides, both men and women. And the cool thing is in God, in all of his mercy and wisdom, has known this. He created this thousands of years ago. They were doing the dating and the flirting and the talking, and we're still doing it today. Session two was like, okay, we're going to move to the next level now. We're past the, uh, the flirting and the, will you, will you? Okay, you know, <laughs> check the box type of thing. And now we're moving into, ooh, I, I really like you. This, this could be it. This could be it. Can I talk to your parents? Can I, you know? And, and so that's what dating, their, the next one was on. Now this time we're having the wedding and we're going for it. Yep. This is, this is the consummation <laughs> episode. That's what's happening. That's what's in your very near future. Very near future. Thank you for being the brave soul on the eve of your wedding night who is willing to come and sit on this podcast with us, Bailey. <laughs> I'm happy we, to be here. We honor you for that. So I'm going to kick us off by just reading the first few verses, picking up from where we left off in the last episode, the woman has taken a step back, gone, yep, I'm here for this. I want to marry this man. I want to bring him home to meet my mama. And now the wedding processional is beginning in Song of Solomon, chapter three, verses six through 10. So the woman here says, who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it from the wood of Lebanon. Its post he made from silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with gold. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. So going back to the beginning of this passage, who is this coming up from the wilderness? That this that's used there is a feminine singular demonstrative pronoun. And so it indicates here that the woman is in view, but it's Solomon's carriage that's coming up. So his carriage is coming to get this woman. And this is similar to the Genesis 24 account of Abraham's servants who were sent to go and get a wife for his son, Isaac. And so they go and get Rebecca and she's riding on a camel. She's accompanied by many gifts. She is coming to meet her husband with, with some pomp and circumstance. And that's what we're seeing here is this woman has been put in Solomon's carriage, which is incredible because we learned earlier in this season that she's a working class woman. She is not necessarily from nobility, but now she is being elevated to that place. She's on this carriage and she is coming to meet her man. Now, something I want us to just take a minute and unpack here is this is a wedding processional being given presumably by a king. This is maybe the kind of processional that would be given by royalty. And I think that in our culture, Bailey, you're getting ready to get married. There's a ton of pressure around what this celebration, what this ceremony is going to look like. I'm starting to walk through it too because my oldest daughter's getting married in a few months and I love that you and her are friends and you're getting to walk through this engagement season together. But there's just a cultural pressure to have overblown 
celebrations and ceremonies that aren't always necessarily healthy Mm -hmm. to start out a marriage with. Mm -hmm. It can be very stressful planning all this. It can tax us financially, set us in a place where we're already um, struggling just going into marriage because we had to have this incredible party (laughs) to let everyone know that we were getting married. And I love the way that you seem to be walking this incredibly responsibly. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yes. So a little backstory about me is I used to work in the wedding planning industry. And what I came to notice in my years of doing so is, first of all, most, I would say the vast majority of the people getting married that I worked their weddings, they weren't Christian. So, you know, they were spending on average $150,000 per wedding to throw a party and essentially, you know, marriage and, and a wedding is supposed to signify the joining of, of a couple in covenant and including God in that. Yeah. It's supposed to be a covenant that's reflective of Christ's relationship with the church. And so, you know, I just, in these years of working these weddings and seeing all the grandeur of it all, and it just sort of became almost movie set like you know it it became inauthentic it mm. seemed very ingenuine and like you said it, it came with a lot of stress a lot of pressure yeah most of the time the bride and the groom aren't even able to enjoy the party that they're they're putting on for other people wow and so you know when it came time to start planning my wedding i i really wanted it to be as least stressful as it could possibly be. And I, you know, like you said, I wanted to be financially responsible. You know, we're about to begin our lives. We're about to, I'm about to have to live with a boy, you know, <laughs> we're, we're getting a house and, and we wanted to be able to, to start off on a non-stressful foot and to have some financial security and really just to have a wedding be what it is about, which yeah. is you know, the, the covenant aspect of it and just celebrating with our, our loved ones, our friends and family. And I I would say anything beyond just the covenant itself is, is preference. You know, if, if that's, if that's your thing to throw the big old ceremony, you know, that's totally fine. But I do implore you to check your intentions in doing so, because, I know that society says that these big, grand, crazy wedding celebrations are the norm, but anything that society says or coins as the norm is usually either expensive, immoral, or just, you know, not, not right. That's so. a good word. <laughs> so yeah. That's excellent insight. And, and I, I love that you mentioned it's preference. It's mm-hmm. totally preference. Just don't feel like it's obligation. Right. And, mm-hmm. and don't feel like, the longevity or stability of the marriage that you're starting is mm-hmm. going to be tied to how much you can impress the people exactly. who are coming to witness it. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to confess. I love weddings. I, <laughs> I nerd out on weddings. <laughs> I watched, uh, I watched Prince William and Kate's wedding. Yeah. I watched, <laughs> I watched every Royal wedding. I, I mean, I just, you know, I get into the details it's not my money we're spending, so right, you know yes. <laughs> I'm good with it. And I just love watching the um, pageantry of it. Yeah. So um, for no particular reason, I just do. It's weird. Uh, but I did notice in this scripture, uh, when I was doing a little backstory, whether this is actually Solomon 
or not, and it, it people tend to think that it might be one of his many weddings that he did, and we don't know who the woman is. It could be, a, like we said, a, a, a conglomeration or an individual. We don't know. But according to what was just read, the amount of money that would have been spent on that particular wedding alone would put the royal wedding of Kate and William to shame. Wow. Mm. That's how much money was spent. That's interesting. That's how much mm-hmm. money Solomon had. Wow. So I'm tending to think this is somebody who, who wrote that somebody is in the court watching, is, you know, yes. would be like me, the nerd alert, who's watching all this go down. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the way she's coming in and the money and the horses and the gold and, oh my gosh. Now, chances are, this was, if it wasn't his particular one love, uh, this was probably a conglomeration of two countries because that was yeah. most of Solomon's weddings. Right. Was two uh, countries unifying. So right. this was way more political than personal. Right. Now, I don't know that that's the case here, but it was the case a lot in history. Mm. Man, that's very interesting. That's some cool so. insight. All right. So now we're going to read Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 7. So the wedding's over. Mom and dad are broke. Um <laughs> <laughs> The food, the food has gone away. Everybody went home. Uh, the family drama has either subsided or just took the night off, whatever you want to do. And so now we're getting to it, okay? Now we're going to get into the sauce. All right, verse 1, chapter 4. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Pause. Okay? <laughs> Your veil that remember doves are make is makeup. So that's her eye makeup. The hair is like a flock of I'm sorry, it's weird, but back then uh new goat hair was an actual extravagance. Hmm. Go figure. Uh anyway, verse two. If my husband says this to me, this is what they're these are fighting. Listen, words. I can relate. <laughs> I mean, I'm like Fake hair is expensive. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no matter where you get it from, huh? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Verse two, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Okay, remember who he's talking to here. <laughs> okay. Coming up from the washing, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Matt and I say that to each other sometimes. What? That your hair? No, that are like, look at your teeth. Each one has its twin. <laughs> Not one of them is alone. <laughs> Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Remember, pomegranate was the most expensive fruit of its time. Mm. So your neck is like that of the Tower of, of David. Built with courses of stone on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadow flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. And remember we talked about how expensive myrrh and incense was. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no flaw in you. Up to this point in the book, the woman has been the primary speaker in the dialogue, which we said in in episode one makes this unique because a woman is doing most of the talking Mm -hmm. in this book of the Bible. But here, the man leads the dialogue. He just said all that stuff. And this is a good place for us to talk about 
the ways that men and women are wired a little bit differently sexually, and these can be things that can cause a strain in our marriage if we don't understand them. So we're going to dig into that, but but I do want to point you back to, in episode one, we noted that this book is written on a chiastic framework. So that means all of what we've read so far in episode one, in episode two, in this portion of episode three, is pointing us toward a climactic center in this chiasm. So the climactic center of the chiasm is the consummation. That's some kind of sexy Bible talk that we're doing. Um, And these are the final verses before that act of consummation, before the wedding night sex. And they're foreplay. Mm -hmm. The man is leading, and the foreplay that he is engaging here is just lavishing praise on his wife and look at what he's saying. He's again and again calling her my bride. That's how we know that they are married at this point. Mm-hmm. Because up until now, even as the woman was accepting the proposal to marriage, she was saying, don't excite these desires until the time is right. Mm-hmm. But now he's calling her my bride. He notes that she's wearing a veil. He's complimenting uh, these different parts of her, her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her cheeks, her neck, her breasts. And again and again, he talks about how beautiful she is. And so when I say we're wired a little bit differently, um, women can be slower starters in the bedroom. Women can need more affirmation to feel comfortable in the bedroom. And, and men, if you're listening, you may not like this, but what we see here is that the man is doing the work here. This foreplay of complimenting her, bringing her to a place of comfort, arousal, is being led by the guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that women don't need to engage this way, but, I mean, if we're just going to get biblical, I think the weight of this is on the guys, Mm -hmm. that they've got to... um, minister to us emotionally as we're coming into we are wired that way yeah we are wired men are wired you know you've heard it said before women are crock pots men are microwave i've never heard that that's good you've never heard that no oh that's older than me (laughs) but i don't men are microwaves women are crock pots it is the man's job we are wired that way it's not because she's lazy. It's not because she's tired, although she might be. We are <laughs> wired that way. It is the man's job to get the crock pot from off to high. And that's the way you're wired. And so the responsibilities, we have to understand that about each other. And ladies, I also want to let you know, we just read this beautiful passage of how he is describing the woman that he loves. And all I have to say is I promise you, that guy that's not texting you back, that one night stand, or that guy that only texts you at 11 p.m. to come over, he is not thinking about you this way, and he does not feel this way about you. So that's all I got to say. No, that's a good word, and I think that's important mm-hmm. for us to recognize is while this book is saucy, you know, he's talking about her breasts here. But the sauce is in the timing. 
Yes. The sauce is not at 11 o'clock. Right. right. Yeah, it's it's not a booty call. Right. The sauce is not, you know, Chad from the coop that yeah. you met. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's not. <laughs> it's not coming from Chad. And, 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 he, and even as he is um, speaking sexually to her, he's not using crass language. Mm-hmm. He's using what is is language of endearment and it's poetic in its day. It's mm-hmm. weird to us because most of us It worked for them. Each of our <laughs> teeth has a twin. Yeah. That's not <laughs> uncommon. Yeah. But but to them at the time, I mean he is he is speaking about her body it really in an honoring mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So he goes on, Song of Solomon 4, 8 through 15. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. With one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, and with all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. So I think it's interesting how he refers to her in verse 12 as a garden locked up, a spring enclosed. Yeah, the one night stand isn't talking this way because this is a guy who appreciates the fact that she has honored their union by saving herself for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also notice the word sister in there. Don't get caught up there. (laughs) That's not literal. Sister here is an, is an endearment is an endearing word. It's like, it's like you're in, I'm endeared to you. You're endeared to me. You're like, okay, we're, we're in this together. You know, I like you. I think you're sexy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Would have been easier if she he just said that absolutely, but somewhere in the lost of the south of the centuries, <laughs> we lost it there. <laughs> but yeah, so don't freak out on the sister thing. Right, right. So those are the four play verses. That's that is the build up. We saw the wedding, the processional. They're married, and now all of this foreplay has been centered on him lavishing praise on her. And then the very next two verses are the climax of this entire book. Again, I would encourage you to look up a a chiastic framework for the book of Song of Solomon so that you could actually see this on paper, what it looks like for all of these verses to build to this point and then to be reflected in the inverse in the rest of the book that we're going to read. But this is the climax of the book, the center point, the main point of the book, Song of Solomon 4.16 and 5.1. She says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere, Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So having received all this praise from him, all this affirmation from him, she now invites him 
to come and consummate the marriage. And then he says in the next verse, 5-1, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And then the friends say, eat friends and drink, drink your fill of love. So that, that is the wedding night scripture. Mm-hmm. That's the consummation that has taken place. And it's incredible that this is recorded in such explicit poetic language in the word of God, because Mm -hmm. an error in Christianity is the idea that sex is exclusively for the purpose of procreation, Mm -hmm. that it it has a technical function and that's its reason because no one here is trying to have a baby. (laughs) These two have been expressing this buildup of attraction and desire through all this, all these verses mm-hmm. leading up to here. And now they are enjoying one another. I think that another error that the church and Christianity has run into is the lack of willingness to talk about sex. Yeah. And I think that because churches have been so avoidant of it, we've mm-hmm. allowed society to, to define and to claim sex as its own. Yeah. And I think that it's important. I think that it's beautiful that this was included in the Bible to show that God created sex. God designed it. God knows exactly how it's supposed to work. And so I, and, and that it's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be yeah. as poetic as what we just read together. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a tragedy that we have allowed society to turn sex into the grotesque right. thing that it is today and, and the way that society views it. Sure. And one of, one of the bad society teachings that, that many people end up believing is this idea of sexual compatibility. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, my, my oldest daughter, like I've shared, she's engaged and her fiance's mom was sharing with me that in the place where she works, she's been kind of ragged a little bit by coworkers. Like, are you kidding me? Your son's going to get married and he's not going to live with this girl first. He's not, I mean, how, how are you going to do that? How are you not going to try it before you buy it? Mm-hmm. And that is, that is a lie of the world. The Absolutely. truth is that, that if we're not out having sexual encounters with multiple people, then you, you're not going to have a, a standard for comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know what? The, the first time when you consummate this marriage, you're probably not going to be good in bed, <laughs> Right. But you're going to learn it together. Mm -hmm. Practice makes perfect. That's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's it. I do. I think that try before you buy is possibly one of the biggest, most harmful lies that has been spread among society. And first of all, I think it's stupid because as we all just discussed, God created sex and it's a human desire. It's a human need the same way that eating is or drinking is or sleeping is. So this idea that it's rocket science when it's a basic human need is crazy Yeah, to me. Not only that, not only is it not rocket science, but I've heard, you know, I've been a lot of a lot of couples have taken me under their wing as I have entered this new journey that I'm entering next week. And many, many Christian married couples that have been married decades and decades have expressed to me that sex is like a fine wine. It gets better with age and uh, better with time. Why does it get better with time? 
Because in a marriage, there's an abundance of love and of care, and you're getting to know the other person's desires and what works, what's compatible within your marriage. And Mm -hmm. so um, Chad from The Coop is not going to care in that (laughs) one-night stand what works for you or about your body or what's compatible between the two of you. He's not going to care because there's no love there. There's no, there's no poetry in, in hookup culture. There's no love or passion or there's no covenant in that. So, you know, it's not, it's not ever designed to be try before you buy and trying with multiple people. And also I do want to bring in, some science and biology with with this topic. So I'm not sure if many people know, but there are actually chemicals released because God designed sex, God, God designed our bodies. And so there are chemicals attached to sex. And so during sex, the brain releases a chemical in men called vasopressin, which creates the desire to bond. And the brain releases a chemical in women called oxytocin, which causes women... it likewise to feel attached to their partner so when a man or woman engages in hookup culture it's literally altering your brain chemistry and so we wonder why these relationships are failing and why especially in my generation it seems like people are unable to commit yeah and it's because these men and women are buying into this false grotesque culture and they're bonding and then breaking and bonding and breaking and bonding and breaking. And it's not the way that God designed it. God literally designed our bodies to attach and to have that soul tie. And so I think it's really beautiful that even science science agrees with what we're saying and and agrees with the Bible. I love that you went that route because I do want us to just look biologically at some, some differences in our wiring towards sex. You know, we've looked at what the Bible says, but now let's get super practical. Let's just talk about this thing. Here are the ways men and women's orientation towards sex differ. Men can really compartmentalize sex as a physical act, as an act of physical oneness. They enjoy variety in sex, which I think leads into the the hookup culture Mm. because rather than experiencing variety in a monogamous relationship they might be looking for variety of partners Mm. which is not how they need to to let that variety be be a thing yeah Mm. men can definitely uh, or a lot of men most men can have a terrible day they get fired they get a ticket they wreck their car let's go upstairs yes yes Absolutely. Just, ladies, you got to understand. It's not them. That's just the way they're wired. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's I'm going to take a bubble priority. bath. Yeah. yeah. Take yes. it up with and God because that's it. Yeah. yeah. High priority yeah. for men. Yeah. But women, our orientation towards sex is that it's more relational. Mm-hmm. It's more holistic. It has more sometimes to do with emotional oneness than it does with physical oneness, which is why when we play this hookup culture game, man, we may end up more devastated Absolutely. than a man who does the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and then a woman is like, okay, you can't, she can't put it in a box. Right. So right. if if the temperature is not 68 and the child is wondering if he's got a sniffle and there's the candles burning downstairs and there's a load of laundry in the, I mean, if all those are not fitting at right. exactly the right increment, 
it's over. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah, other Because we're we, we think color. We don't think boxes. We yes. think in color. That's such mm. a color good wheel. way to put that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can prioritize other things above it. And so where a man's mind is set, and this is where we're going, we got a hundred other things mm-hmm. that we're trying to figure that out. That all work together. Yes. And it's not because we're weak. Again, we're wired that way. Right. So... Piggybacking on the the topic of women participating in hookup culture, I think that that's another tragic lie that society has bought into, Mm -hmm. is that it's empowering for women, or that Mm. it's feminist to engage or partake in hookup culture. I think that it's the complete opposite. I think it's the most illogical thing I've ever heard, actually, um, to... I don't know how we we as a society landed that, you know, allowing men to take advantage of our bodies for one night is empowering to us. I just don't know how we landed here. Um, And let me just say this. I I don't see the logic in, I'm going to sleep with Chad because I'm a feminist, no strings attached, because... I don't think that Chad's going to hate that, you know? Right, I, I, don't, yes. I don't think that's sticking it to the man. I think, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just perpetuating this crazy idea, idea that society has, that it's empowering and it's normal and it's freeing. Yeah. It's, it's quite the opposite. Absolutely. That's a great point. And we, we are just breaking our own selves down. Absolutely. We're tearing down our own house when we do it. Mm-hmm. So that's how our orientations towards sex differ. The way that we experience stimulation is also different. So for a man, it's sight, it's smell, it's body-centered. But for a woman, we need touch. We need the right attitude. We need the right kind of touch. The right kind of touch. If you're a young mom, the last thing you want is somebody else touching you. <laughs> like, get off me. That's I've true. had 8 million kids touching me all day. And if you're touching me with an agenda, don't touch me. Well, you know, <laughs> and if I'm nursing, yeah, and then you come for me there, yeah, you turn on the faucet, and it's like, yeah, why? So it's a certain kind of touch in a certain <laughs> kind of way at a certain kind of time. <laughs> yeah. So, so to be stimulated, we need the right actions, we need the right words, and Song of Solomon does a great job of showing us that there are a lot of words that this man uses to stimulate his new bride. So you might want to leave off the goat thing though, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Now we also have different needs in order to foster intimacy. Mm. So, so we've been talking exclusively about physical stimulation, how that works differently for men and women, but intimacy is more than just physical stimulation. That's closeness. Mm -hmm. That's what we saw in the very beginning of this book. This woman is desiring closeness with this man. And so for men to foster intimacy, they need respect. They need admiration. They need to know that they're physically desired, which I think is, is a way that we as women, that I as a woman can certainly fail to express the longer that we're married. Um, but like we talked about earlier, we, we need to be complimenting our man just as much as mm-hmm. we expect our man to compliment us. He's the king us. of your world. That's it. No matter if, if he looks like he did when he was 20 or 60 or 90. Right. He's still the king of your world. Figure out how to tell him that. That's mm-hmm. it. Yes. And they need to not be put down. Men need to be exactly. lifted up and valued. This is something um, my husband told me once that... If he knows that I believe in him, he can accomplish anything. Mm. So 
you know, what he was expressing to me in that is that is that is how I need closeness from you is I need to be honored. Mm-hmm. I need to be admired. I need you to believe in me. Women, we need understanding. We need love. We need to be emotionally engaged and we need quality time. I love your example of it doesn't matter what happened during the day when he gets home. Let's go upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> but for us, no, we need some time, no. some time around it. Yeah. And if you make me go upstairs before I'm ready, you're going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, timing. This is where the love languages come in. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and understanding timing is an art science that constantly changes no matter what phase of life you're in. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. that's a great resource that we should recommend. Most people have probably heard of it. It's an older book. Yeah, it's Gary Chapman's uh, Five Languages of Love, and they have it for kids and in-laws and your spouse. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great resource. Uh, another one is Love and Respect. Um, Emerson Egrich, uh, we use that one a, a lot. Uh, of course, you know I could spend the whole next podcast uh, studying the Enneagram. Because yes. I'm, I'm a huge Enneagram fan. Yes. So, because um, you have to understand your person. Sure. You know, whoever that is. So, anyway. Yeah, I'm doing um, a mom's group right now where we're going through the five love languages for children. Right. Mm. Super helpful. So, those, those are great resources to check out. Now, even in the actual act of sex, we're talking about the right environment, the way that we need to feel loved and valued. But even in the act itself, there's a difference in how men and women respond physiologically. Mm -hmm. So men experience quick excitement. They usually initiate the act, and once they've started it, they are very difficult to distract. Mm -hmm. They're focused on a thing, and that is where their their mind and body is. And that's not a weakness. No. That's how they were made. That's how they were made. Mm Mm-hmm. But it becomes difficult because for women, we experience excitement more slowly, where they experience it more quickly. We are usually the ones responding to his initiating, and we are also easily distracted. When my husband and I are in a time of intimacy together, the craziest thoughts will pop into my mind. Like, all of a sudden, I'm wondering, did one of my little kids go outside, and we didn't know it? Mm-hmm. And what if they fall in the pond? And, like, I just start <laughs> thinking of all kind of crazy things, like, what if someone tries to start cooking food downstairs while we're upstairs with the bedroom door locked, and they start a fire? Like, I just have crazy thoughts because our minds are easily distracted, and that can, that can become a hindrance right. in our sex lives. So we have to learn to focus. Yes. And we, we just need to be mindful of the wiring. So if we, if we can show patience with their speed. Yes. And they can show patience with our need for patience. Yeah. <laughs> our slowness. Uh, we'll, we'll be fine. But to, to expect one to rise to the other yeah. is not... Uh, is not a winning scenario. Yeah. Because we're just, God did not make us that way. Well, and that's what's so incredible about the book Song of Solomon is we constantly see a back and forth. We constantly see man and woman equally engaged in where this thing is heading. 
And it's just a great example for us that even though we're wired differently, even though we respond differently, we have a regard for one another that is seeking one another's best, even in the bedroom, because this is a huge piece of it. All right, Bailey, as our special guest on this episode, getting married one week from today, from the day this episode's being recorded, by the time it airs, you will be Mrs. Zach Thompson. What good word do you want to share with all of our listeners and viewers? I would be happy to share some advice. So... I do want to address the ladies for a moment. Um, I, I want to give the advice to pray about your future husband. Pray that God would instill in you what his desires for who he wants your future husband to be. If you had told me, if you had described Zach to me five years ago and told me that he would be my future husband, at the time, I would have thought you were crazy. But I, I sat down one day after a really traumatic breakup and I prayed. I said, okay, God, clearly I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what to look for. So I'm going to make a future husband checklist as many, many women will instruct you to do so. And I prayed about it. And as I, as I was writing, I found myself writing things that I was asking God, like, are you sure? <laughs> like a, a guy with a Southern accent that drives a truck and enjoys the outdoors. I'm a singer. Where's the, the artsiness in that, you know? So, um, but God always knows better. God knows what we need so much more than we do. And Zach actually not only checked off 64 of my 66 boxes, Dang it. but the two, yeah, no it was pressure. a long list. <laughs> I got real specific. Um, but the two that Zach didn't check off ended up being things that were totally a God thing that I was like, oh, wow, I actually don't want those two things. And God just knew better. And Zach has added things to that list that I could have never even dreamt up in my own head that, that he's just added and, and really brought enrichment to my life. So that's point number one. Number two, I want to address churches and just Christians as a whole, I think that we, instead of shaming young Christians for getting married too young or getting married too quick, we should be cheering them on, praying for them and rallying around them. Because, you know, while I do think that some, sure, some young Christians out there might be rushing the process just so they can get to the, the Song of Solomon <laughs> part of their, of their journey. Um, I think that that's not the case in a lot of, a lot of areas. I, I think that God gives young Christians the discernment to know when they found the one. And I think it's commendable that maybe they aren't engaged for an entire year. Um, they get married quicker because 1 Corinthians, I think it's, it's 1 Corinthians 7 says, it is better to marry than to burn with lust. So, you know, while I don't think Christians should get married just so they can have guilt-free sex, I think it's commendable that people do know their boundaries and that they're, they're adjusting their timeline in order to enter their marriage in a way that honors God. That's a good word. And Song of Solomon says that. It says, pace the relationship. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is good stuff. God has masterfully crafted male and female uniquely so that we fit together, we complement one another, and so that we are exactly what our spouse needs. Like exactly. Zach is exactly what you need. And if we can understand these differences, that, that Song of Solomon, without saying them, 
portrays them in the interactions between this man and woman, then we can do better about meeting one another's needs. And, and this couple in this poem does a great job of showing us what that can look like. Absolutely. And we don't need to shortchange the role of God in our sex, in our marriages, in intimacy, because this is all a gift from him. Mm-hmm. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that's bad. It's a gift from him to be used in, in the way that he has set out for us. So one thing I want to leave you with as we close this episode about marriage and consummation, this is the sex episode, the climactic center of Song of Solomon, is not to be afraid to address this with God. Mm-hmm. A prayer that you can pray with your spouse is God help us to be better lovers. And he wants to do that. Like he wants this part of our marriage to be successful and to be fulfilling and to be honoring and glorifying to him. So I would encourage you to have have the boldness to take your spouse by the hand and pray that prayer with him. God help us to be better lovers. And we are going to keep on walking through Song of Solomon again next week as we dive into what happens next. The vows have been made, the marriage has been consummated, and then we might start to hit some rocky spaces. (laughs) But Song of Solomon deals with that too. So we'll walk through it all. We'll see you back next week.